Welcome to the Has Been Hoops podcast, still brought to you by Hoop City, Australia's number one basketball training facility. If you want to raise your game, visit the team at hoopcity.com.au to find your nearest location. Were though, it has been a massive week, and I want to start with Xavier Crooks before we get on to the, the NBL Grand Final. Um, you, many people may not know this, uh, you work as a scout for the Washington Wizards and you told me about two weeks ago that Xavier Crooks had signed a deal for the Wizards. Uh, it was a really interesting conversation because there's still with these sort of podcasts, part of us wanted to share the news, but I think out of respect to Xavier, uh, out of respect for the Sydney Kings, out of respect for the NBL Championship Series, you know, we decided to let it go um, so that everybody could focus on what's meant to be the pinnacle of uh, the Australian basketball calendar here in, uh, at, at this time of year. But uh, it still amazes me sometimes that the media just don't get that element, that uh, they need to be first, they need to break a story. And, you know, in an already disjointed championship series, uh, we've probably added another non-basketball conversation that could have just as easily been had uh, once these championships decided. What do you think, were though? Oh, first off, I'm very happy for Xavier. I think um, what he's shown over the last, let's say, twelve months, but we know that it's been longer. But the last twelve months, he's had a he's had a great run um, with the Kings. He's had a great run personally with his own development in basketball um and i guess as a scout you always look at transferable skills nbl to nba because let's face it is a it is a different game that we're that the nbl talent versus nba and for xavier uh the one thing that always stood out to me was how big his engine was and that he was a playmaking big um something that I believe could have helped Washington at the end of the day. Um, so I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled that we've signed him. I'm thrilled that Xavier gets to live out his childhood dream. And I'm thrilled that um, he's been rewarded for the work that he's put in, especially over a lifetime, but what he's shown in the last 12 months. Can you give I'm us- disappointed. I'm disappointed that the news come out after game two. Um, I'm disappointed that uh, it's taking a bit of a limelight off the championship series and that X couldn't just focus on this series as much as people would be in his ear and telling him just to worry about winning a championship first. Um, I'm sure there's a small part that is still excited for him to get on the plane to go to Washington and start his experience. Um, we do live in an, we do live in an era where 
for whatever reason, people want to be first to break news, no matter what the consequences are. Um, I would have liked to have seen the championship finish first and then all this would have uh, been sweeter had it been a championship for him or move on to the next had they not. So, yeah, it's it, it's yeah. an it's an interesting it's an interesting one. It's as you know, it's been on our run sheet for the last three episodes with a big cross next to it. Um, so it's nice to be able to talk about it, I suppose. But I don't think it would have lost any impact waiting until after the championship series. It's a, it's a funny one though. I, I can only imagine that now that he signed the deal on a multi year deal uh, at that that there's got to be a sense of relief and an ability for Xavier to play with even more freedom in a grand final series, knowing that he's not getting evaluated anymore. The deal's done. He doesn't have to impress anyone outside of the Sydney Kings anymore. He doesn't have to impress those scouts that were turning up to all of the games. So hopefully when he gets back on the court, and we hope that he'll be back in game three, and we'll get into that in a second, uh, that he can play with a level of freedom, maybe even more so than what he had the tail end of the season. Before we get into that, though, I think it would be negligent of me not to to ask you if you can provide any insight into any concerns that the Wizards might have with Xavier's inability to shoot the ball from the perimeter, to shoot free throws consistently. At what, how did that part of his game perhaps concern them or not or not concern them clearly? Um. It is. It's a. It's a point. It's noted. Um, his mechanics aren't horrific. Where we don't think that there couldn't be room for improvement in it. If you look at his free throws, like mechanically, can he tighten up a little bit? Sure, he could. Um, but that comes with repetitions, and he's probably going to have more time to get repetitions than he's ever had before, um, as he works his way and try and works his way into a rotation. The reason that uh, we liked him was the fact that we have a Daniel Gafford who is a rim protector, uh, plays close to the basket, dunks everything, uh, rim-to-rim runner. We had Porzingis, who is a shooter, um, scorer as a big. Uh, We didn't have the playmaking big who could get into the teeth of the defense and, and make a play. If you look at what has come from the NBL to the NBA previously. You look at a Deshaun Tate, who is a smaller version, um, who was a playmaker, who's been able to make his own way in Houston. You've had a Tory Craig, who wasn't a great shooter when he was in Cairns or Brisbane, but was a defensive guy. The thing that has stood out that he's a competitor, he's a winner, he's a dog. Um and dog in a good way, by the way, people. He, And that's the one word that the Wizards coach used, that he liked the fact that he was just a dog, that he could throw him out there. He just makes winning plays in what he does. Um, we hope that the shooting can complement what he already has, but at the end of the day, he's got a position to try and get into this rotation uh, that's currently there and be the playmaking big that they, they wanted and, and solid on the defensive end. Too simplistic to compare him to Draymond Green? I think there is, and I have used that comparison, that he, 
that he is very much I I called him the Draymond Green of the NBL um, because that was the best way to try and highlight his game where he's an unselfish passer. He's a guy that can take it off the rim and start the fast break. The underrated skill of Xavier is actually getting ahead of the ball. And when you look at uh, pace of play that the Sydney Kings play, a very NBA style of pace, um, Xavier is the head of that and and the way that he gets out in transition. Um, Washington lacks that uh, in a lot of sense. Uh, and so I think that that will give him an opportunity to try and bring that spark off the bench, get up and down the floor, be able to create plays, hoping to lead into open shots more for Beal, for Kispert, uh, for Denny Advia uh, going forward. But I think there is an opportunity for him to succeed playing that Draymond Green style of play at the next level. Well, one thing we haven't seen is exactly what you described the first two games of the championship series. Disappointingly, he's got a couple of severe corks in his quad. Uh, we're two games into the championship series and uh, you know, New Zealand clearly won game one and then their pick and roll game, Will McDowell-White tore the Kings apart in game one. And, you know, teams never come back to my recollection from two games down in a best of five championship series to win. Uh, and the series landed in New Zealand. No Xavier Brooks, no Derek Walton Jr. The the championship series seemingly was on a platter for New Zealand to go and take, and they couldn't get it done in game two. Uh, I must admit, I, I got up and walked out of the room three or four times. I couldn't believe how many loose turnovers there were in such an important game. But at the same time, I was really, really impressed with and I was in game one as well. I think two of the, the really important Kings guys over these first two games, before I let you speak, were though, uh, have been Angus Glover uh, and Geordie Hunter. I, I think they've both been really impactful off the bench for the first two games. And they were really solid in game two when they needed them to be. Uh, the Kings tidied up their on-ball coverages. They did, you know, they, they got into their drop stuff a little bit better. They threw a 3-2 zone and a 1-2-2 zone at New Zealand and, it seemed like they weren't prepared for that. And they found a way through their reserves in a game that means the world with a championship on the line to beat a full-strength New Zealand breakers. Um, it, it hasn't been the highest of quality championship series yet, and we blame injuries. And at some level, we blame the 12-day gap for the FIBA window. But I'm anticipating this is going to turn around and we're going to see a much higher quality game three, but tell me what you've seen through the first two games and tell me what you expect in the third. Well, first off, hats off to New Zealand and the way that they came out. And Will McDowell-White, if he's not a top two, top three agent in this uh, next coming draft uh, off-season, I don't know who is. Uh, I think I was Clearly speaking is, to someone yeah. uh, I was speaking to someone and they said, do you think Will McDowell-White has the capability of having that 20-point near triple-double game? I said, look, he could probably have one of them. And sure enough, he goes close to having that 20-point triple-double in game one. And New Zealand were just always in control of the game one. Game two, um, Justin Simon was outstanding. But the point that 
resonated with me the most is that Chase Buford had full trust in his bench all year long. Uh, you think back to the games where Kuat Noy hits the game winner versus Cairns. Sean Bruce hits the game winner the very next game. Um, and then you put that into comparison where people were praising John Reilly for going to a seven-man rotation and then they get tied down the stretch and they they don't have the, the numbers to compete versus the Cairns in the play-in series. They might mind, mind um, you that, that the King do have more depth than Perth. You, you couldn't argue that Sydney 8 and 9 are much better than Perth's 8 and 9. So there's a little bit of that as well. I agree. I agree with that. But I guess I'm saying it's easier to have faith in talented players down the end of the bench than it is not so talented. But you think of the the stories of those guys, uh, Angus Glover, multiple ACL injuries, uh, kid from Wollongong, got a chance to go to Sydney, has thrived in that environment. Geordie Hunter missed a year of basketball, uh, coming back under the tutelage of Luke Longley, thriving in his environment there as well. Quite Noy, not wanted in Cairns anymore. Not uh, wanted. Changed, Didn't not just wanted. choose to leave. Not wanted. Not wanted. Is that right? Uh, and okay. he changes his position from a three to a four, does the work in the off-season. Uh, I, I really I, – I love the King's bench. I, I, I think they're fantastic and as good as what the starters have been um, all year for the Kings, the depth has been the real winner for the Kings throughout this season. Um, game three, I expect, as you said, a much more higher quality game. If you're a betting man, I would expect the overs to be in in play for this game as yeah. well. Um, it would be interesting to see the adjustments that Modi Mayor makes in this position. Um, I think he out, well, I wouldn't say that he out coached, but they got a lot of wide open shots in that game one. Game two, I like the junk up defense by the Kings at the end of the day. Um, game three, I think it comes down to the bench players again and the capabilities. I'm, I'm, Barry Brown Jr. has been exceptional to this point. Um, I'd, I'd like to see uh, a bit more of Rob Lowe. Uh, I think he's got the capability of uh, playing a bigger role in this series. He's, he's had a couple of really good games. He had a good game one as well. Had a couple of really good games this season. Especially, he because, especially because he's got the ability to take Geordie Hunter and Suarez away from the rim defensively. Correct. Correct. So uh, I, I, I put Rob Lowe as, as the X factor for New Zealand going forward for the rest of the series. Um, I need to mention a, a couple of points. Uh, firstly, Jarrell Brantley and, and Barry Brown, I think, have been, you know, we, we spoke two episodes ago, perhaps last episode, about, well, my biggest concern with the breakers being their inconsistency. Their top level is clearly good enough, but we thought they might have those stretches. And as great as Will McDowell-White was in game one, you know, seven, three, and four with six turnovers in, in game two, is that type of inconsistency where you, know, you kind of cross your fingers with the breakers and hope you get their best games? You know you'll get it from Brantley and Brown. With everyone else almost to a man, I think there's a level of inconsistency. So it's a really interesting 
watch this space. I think, you know, we spoke about Rayan Repair a while back and he's rocketed up the draft boards. He's now considered a top 10 draft pick and we've agreed with that for a long time. But we've seen his minutes reduced to, to about 10 a game in this series. And I think we're reminded that as great a talent as we get in this Next Stars program and as great as he's been in playing in big games, he's still an 18-year-old kid or a 19-year-old kid. Um, it wouldn't surprise me you know, if if the breakers can't get it done in Sydney. You know, does Modi may all toy with the idea of starting Barry Brown and, 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 and putting Rupert off the bench and just throwing different rotations at the Kings in order to stay alive. Um, you know, it's hard to play an 18-year-old kid in a championship series. Yeah, you, you saw him getting a bit antsy in the game one. I mean, he made a couple of shots. He hit the nice knockdown three when he got fouled uh, on the closeout uh, by DJ. Uh, saw that there was... Uh, a few moments where there was just the rush of blood and that's what kids his age do do in the big moment. It's, there's no substitute for experience. I think when you look at uh, the Kings guys, even their bench players, like their shots that they are taking are are good shots. They're not forced shots. Um, Do they make a change? I'd be surprised if they did make a change in the lineup uh, as I think they liked that Barry Brown punch off the bench at the end of the day, that consistency, knowing that what well, what's there to lose? If Ryan goes out there, gets a few steals early and scores, he's all good. If he goes to the bench right now, his head starts to scramble a little bit of why am I starting and all that. So I don't believe that they make the change just to see all right, we'll play him the first couple of minutes. If he gives you something good, if not, then we've still got Barry Brown. Yeah, well, it was funny. Someone asked me today, I did a, another podcast uh, with the NBL and they reminded me that my last two games before I went to the NBA, I got benched by Gorgian as well. I was starting ahead of Dorgian, wasn't playing great. He started Dorgian game two of the 1997 grand final. And you're right, I, I'm a, I, grand, I was four years older than what Rupert is and, even still, I was so pissed off and wanted to prove so badly that I, I, I still deserve my minutes. I had one of the best games I've ever played in game two. So it might have been a masterstroke. Um, but one thing that I knew in the back of my mind, and I know Rupert knows, is that win, lose, or draw right now, uh, just like we said with Xavier Crooks, he's on a plane to the United States. He'll be in the NBA next year, so he'll be just fine, If even if he's sad for a week or so. Um, hey, you touched on Will McDowell-White and, and NBL free agency, and I agree with you. He's the top free agent going around and strong word around Brisbane. I, I want to ask you, well, A, where you think he'll end up if he moves, but I, I want to throw two more names at you. Um, Bull Quall, I think, may very well have played himself into a top three free agent in the NBL along with Keanu Pinder. Um you know, we mentioned Pindor already and there's got to be an offer coming from the Sydney Kings, especially now to replace Xavier Cooks. Um, I mentioned that I'd be disappointed if he left. I think he plays his best basketball under Adam Ford and he wasn't able to produce that in his previous stops in the NBL. So so let's start with those three, uh, Keanu Pinder, uh, Will McDowell-White and Bull Quall. 
Hinda will get offers from Sydney and Perth. He's obviously a WA boy originally, uh, and uh, obviously Cairns would like to retain him. I think at his age, turning 28 uh, later on this year, I believe, this is his one chance to get his big contract. Uh, so, so, I, so, I so how much? So here we go. How much money? Let, let's say Cairns offer him one hundred and seventy-five, two hundred thousand dollars. How much mm-hmm. more do you have to make before you move? Is the number? Is it thirty grand? Is it fifty grand? How much more does another team have get, to come think, in with? Hey, I think you'll get offered a lot more than that. So I mean, I agree. If it's a hundred, one hundred and fifty thousand dollars more per season, of course you go. Which it will be, but I wouldn't go for for thirty grand more or fifty grand more. I'd be staying. Correct. Correct. If it's thirty to fifty, I wouldn't be moving either. But I I think it'd be well north. Of okay, over so you dollars. okay, so you think Pinder's gone? What about Bullqual? I'd be putting a lot of stock into keeping Bullqual. And if I was a rival NBL team, I'd be putting a lot of stock of trying to take Bullqual. Right. Um, one thing that has always interested me with NBL uh, is good rookie seasons, second year blues. I always expect there to be a huge upturn in year three that supersedes their first season. Um, I've seen it time and time again. If we looked at last season, who would I, if I was a basketball operations manager at a club or a GM, I would have tried to get a Tanner Krebs, who I thought after a solid year one, he was down a little bit year two. He was the, he was the prime target to try and rip from Brisbane to put somewhere else to see him accelerate. I see a really big year ahead for Bull Qual. So if I was Cairns, obviously I'm going to try and secure Pinder first. And if you don't get Pinder, I'd put a lot more stock into keeping Bull at the end of the day. You, you know, they may be a victim of their own success with, with those two guys insofar as, as you've already mentioned, there are going to be other teams opening the checkbook and making offers at these guys. Now, you know, even when I was coaching and, and I've heard of other coaches doing it, um, making big offers to rival teams with no intent of signing them knowing that it'll just force their current club to pay them a little bit more and it'll impact their depth. So even if there are, there may very well be teams in the NBL who have no intent of signing uh, Keanu Pinder but offer him a huge contract just to bump Cairns up 40 or 50 grand because that severely impacts for, for Cairns, a team with a low budget already, the inability to have that 50 grand left over at the end to spend on their seventh, eighth, ninth guy can can really hurt them. So I'd, I'd be surprised with those two guys, as you said, if they don't receive big offers, even from teams who have no intent of signing them. So it could be a really tricky off-season for the Taipans. Um, Will McDowell-White. Uh, obviously, news is Brisbane have playing in that space. I believe Southeast Melbourne might be playing in this space as well. I'd be disappointed if he left New Zealand. He seems to be playing good basketball under Modi Mayor. Um, but he's not the only Aussie point guard that could be having a new home in NBL 24. Is Jason, that what we're calling Jason it? Jason Kiddie, you're thinking? Are we calling Perrin him Armstrong. Point guard? Sorry? Perrin Armstrong. Perrin Armstrong coming back. 
the strong word that he is leaving Cal Baptist. Right. Uh, for people that don't know, uh, had an unbelievable rookie season, um, playing really well again. Um, it's already looked at by NBA teams. Oh, like, he still wouldn't surprise me if it was a sneaky chance at a late second round draft spot. Wouldn't surprise me either, but word is that he's coming back to the NBL. Um, I can only assume that could be a Brisbane under a Justin Schuler with the the junior connection there. You don't think Tasmania could get him? You don't think Tassie could get him back? He's a Tassie boy. Imagine adding that. Imagine adding that quality of local to an already really impressive Jack Jumpers team. Absolutely. So. Watch, watch this space on that one. I well, guess. Ron, that'll give you two more watch this spaces. I'd expect to see Kelly LaPepe and Josh Bannon in the NBL next year, two four men that I've coached on state and national teams who will both come in and have an immediate impact. So watch this space. Kelly, Kelly, we... Kelly LaPepe, uh, LMU. Uh, Kelly, La, Kelly LaPepe is, just think Mick of Vicona and you've got him already. Um, yep. we'll, we'll touch on those two guys more. Hey, another interesting one, and, you know, with Sam Froling overseas in Japan and Pinder playing over in Spain at the moment, uh, Chris Golding on his way to Paris to play for Will Weaver in the off-season. On his way to the airport when I ran in this morning, I don't think that one's been uh, noticed. It's out. It's out. It's out. So uh, interesting times for Chris and and his young family. Now, there's a bit of we'll uh, we'll jump into our Hoop City segment here because there's a bit of a crossover with our nominees uh, from the NBL and the NBA. And of course, this is our raise our game segment where we uh, we're each going to nominate a player who's raised his game or someone who needs to raise their game by uh, getting into Hoop City, of course. But uh, I'll go with my candidate for this week, and you know, from the time I've done my tours and my relationship with the Rose family that uh, I've been following the Knicks as my second team behind the Mavericks for, for quite a while now. And they received a lot of criticism for not quite getting the Donovan Mitchell done, but the, the Donovan Mitchell deal done. But what they knew is that they had Emmanuel quickly in their back pocket. And I'm not sure they expected him to be what he's been just the last little bit, but yeah, the culmination of his incredible post all-star game performance with that 39 point game in a win in Boston, uh, which represents the next third win over the Celtics this season. Uh, for me is someone who's going to rocket into most improved player of the year contention. Uh, a genuine NBA, if not six player starter trending towards what we've seen his roof or his ceiling to be now. And, uh, someone who can give you 30 on any given night when he's not backing up Jalen Brunson, but I'm, I'm waiting to see how he performs alongside Jalen Brunson. So mine, uh, Emmanuel, quickly. And mine is Justin Simon. Uh, his performance in game two of the grand final was outstanding. It took the role of playing on Will McDowell-White, obviously uh, having an influence on on his game. Uh Coming into this series, he was a bit of an unknown of what he'd be able to pr- produce offensively if he'd be able to give them what they what they needed. And he has been he was outstanding in game two. He single handedly put the team on his back uh, along with the bench buddies, and then uh, got the job done. So if we'll have to pick out of those two, 
my vote would be for Justin Simon because it is a championship final series uh, versus a regular season game. Uh, but for Justin Simon, he's definitely raised his game in the final series. You've convinced me as soon as you said championship series with what they were missing and the, the performance he put in. And on the offensive end as well, I thought he was really, really serviceable. So we'll give our third uh, Hoop City Raise Your Game award to Justin Simon. Um Somebody probably needs to raise their game off the court, and, and this becomes a really interesting conversation as we get into the NBA. Ja Morant, um, you hear whispers for, for months on end, and all of a sudden it's like every single thing he's ever done wrong comes out. Um, some of it potentially illegal, which we'll, we'll still wait and hear, but how have you viewed the Ja Morant suspensions that the people around him, the advice he's getting, and perhaps even the way the Memphis Grizzlies have handled it? Um, well, my, my initial thought is when you have a 23-year-old kid who has a lot of money, who's going to be getting even a lot more money very, very soon, at 23, you don't know what you don't know. You're a lot more immature. Uh, I think the best thing I saw is the need for vets on a team is the reason why Ja Moran is currently in trouble. <laughs> because yeah. Memphis does have this very young team that don't have a number of vets at the end of the bench to be able to teach, provide wisdom or whatnot. Um has he done something illegal? We'll, I, we'll, I we'll find that out. Let, let's not guess that. If he bought a gun into a club or if he travelled on a team playing with a gun, then the answer is yes. But if he didn't, yeah. and, yeah, the, the laser beam, the, the, the intimidating, the, the physical altercation, a whole bunch of things come together. Um, I, I guess I just want to pick up, I'll, I'll interrupt you for a second, and the, the overwhelming response you get out of Memphis is that all of his teammates love him. You know who that sounds like? The guy we spoke about last week that can't get himself onto a Boomers team, Mitch Creek. Every single person at the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix say that they love him. So basketball's traipsing into this really interesting area where we're concerning ourselves at a really high level with what the players do off the court and how it's perceived not necessarily what is now. Again, if you've broken the law, I'll retract that and that's a whole different thing. But, you know, it's a really interesting one, especially for a young kid, as to where does the control the club has over you and the image stop? And I, I did a, a sportsman's lunch. I did a fundraiser with Dane Swan and just, just this week just gone and he told a story about, walking into team meetings and laid down the team rules. And he said, yeah, that's fine. You can put the rule in until I break it, but I know that I'm going to be okay because you'll need me to play. And I'm not breaking the rule. And he said he walked into a team meeting one time and they tried to put in an alcohol ban. And he looked around and said, hang on, whoa, whoa, whoa. half of you guys don't drink. Half of, only half of us are sacrificing. The rest of you aren't sacrificing. He made a half of a joke saying, hey, if, I'm, if I drink five nights a week, and it's not affecting my performance, but not drinking affects my mental health. 
how about you sacrifice not seeing your best mate or your wife for five? Yeah, he was a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but he wanted, always wanted there to be rules within a club that applied to everyone where everyone had to sacrifice. So I guess the whole Mitch Creek, Dane Swan, Jar Morant conversation has been bouncing around in my head now for the last week or so, and I just wonder, you know, go back to your Dennis Rodman's. You can still achieve success if you let people be who they want to be and the rules Again, as long as you're not breaking the law, don't necessarily need to apply to everyone. Yeah. I uh, I just hope he gets his shit together. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah, as the, and, but I think that's a sign of the guy is that all that you've heard out of Memphis is we're trying to help him. This is not a punishment. Yeah. This is us trying to help him. And you think what's on the line for the Grizzlies? Yeah, they were the second favourite in the West up until about the time that the Phoenix Suns signed Kevin Durant. At their best, they're a chance to give any team in the West trouble. They're going to be a hard out. So to suspend your best player now is either stupid or it shows shows they care, or the the worst scenario might be they know that there's something wrong and they've got to stop now. Can I play devil's advocate for a second? Of course. In a a league that has been player influence for a while now when it comes to trades, uh, that the voice carries more weight than an owner's does now. Had this happen in a David Stern era versus uh, the Silver era, do you think David Stern would have come down with an absolute hammer yeah, of a, fight, but, of a suspension. Yeah, but but outside of Gilbert Arenas, and let's talk about the gun stuff now. Outside mm-hmm. of him, the, the other incident escapes from it. It was only a four game suspension for being in possession of an illegal firearm. So it's not really a hammer. A four game suspension in the NBA is a week. When was the last time that a player has had an off court incident for a contender, though? Because Gilbert Arenas wasn't playing for a contender. When when was the last time in the NBA? There's been some on-court stuff, but when was the last time that there was off-court stuff during the season that has affected a contender like this has affected or or is likely to affect Memphis? I, do, I can't. Do, do, you count, I, do you count Ben Simmons at Philadelphia? Yeah, well, he's, I he's don't. I don't. I don't know. My my short answer is still played out this season. I I just for me, um, it screams immaturity. It also screams a lack of veteran pre- presence. Uh, but I think if you listen to the Bill Simmons comment, when does it stop being the people that you hang out with as the problem, and when does it start being you're the problem? Of course. Um, I he's got this. He's got an opportunity to get a, 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 a max deal coming up, a five-year plus over $230 million contract. He's got Nike. Uh, is it Gatorade that want to... There's a lot on the line, absolutely. There's there's a lot there. And um, being a sports person has its pros. Obviously, the money that he gets... Uh, the fame that he gets and all that. Being a sports star also sucks because you. If get anyone else had done it, nobody would have known. Correct. If you're yeah. just a regular person, 
no one would care at the end of the day. And so I think Jar's just finding out the other side of being a, a, a superstar that he is right now that um, as much as the next person can get away with shit, when you're in his position, no one else in his crew has got a, a shoe contract. No one else in his crew is about to get a max deal on the table. He becomes the sole, solely responsible for his actions at the end of the day. And you can just hope that he can still be himself and not uh, get caught up in too much of the other other shit. Could not agree more. Mate, we're, we're out of time. We're, we're going to add to the ranch. We're going to talk about the New York Knicks next episode and figure out if they're legit or not. And maybe they'll have lost a game and their streak will be done by the time we chat. We've got a tough couple of our stories to add to the NBL Championship Series recap that we'll do. But um, until then, we want to ask you, if you are enjoying listening to our podcast, like it, subscribe it, rate us. We'd love you to give us five stars. Uh, we'll get... Uh, more and more of these episodes done. But for now, thanks to our friends again at Hoop City. Don't forget to visit them at www.hoopcity.com.au. Until then, Wurdo, we'll see you after game three and four of the NBL series. See you.